0: But I wrote about this in a book I published in 2010 has to do with the importance of synchronizing our rhythms. So in a big picture, think we have light sensitive rhythms and we have food sensitive rhythms and health generally works better when those two things are synchronized.
1: That was Dr. Gregory Kelly. He is the lead product formulator at the Neurohacker Collective, working on some of the top nootropic supplements that are available anywhere in the world. We talked a lot about harmonizing the body, as well as other things that you can do to bring more general wellness and health into your existence. Without further ado, let's get to Becoming Legendary with Dr. Greg Kelly. There are no gold medals for down dog. Maximize every opportunity so that you... You legend can become legendary. What adjustments can you make right now to make yourself 1% better? Your only goal is to be the best version of you. <sighs> Greg, thank you so much for coming on Becoming Legendary. How are you, man? Awesome,
0: awesome. Thanks for having me on as a guest.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about this conversation. Um you live in the world that excites me the most. So that is always just it's really fun to be able to take these deeper dives. I want to know to start things off. What does a typical day in your life look like?
0: So my standard Monday through Friday is I I would think of myself as a fairly early riser, so usually by 6:30 or so I'm up, do my shot of um nootropics, head to the gym for some kind of a weight training, um finish up 45 minutes or so and then I live in Pacific Beach, um, a little bit south of where the Neurohacker Collective Office is. But um, I go from there to a nice coffee shop that has a great outdoor deck so I can sit there in morning sunlight, have some coffee, and um, somewhere around nine, typically head into the Neurohacker Collective Office. So Mm. I um, think of that saying like that, I think it was the army, like, by nine in the morning, we do more than most people do all day. And so I definitely have a sense of that in terms of some of the good things.
1: Yeah, all the good stuff. Let me let me ask you about your coffee. What's, what's your coffee beverage of choice?
0: I'm an Americano person. Okay, all and right. Much, and, and if I had access to um, heavy whipping cream, like organic heavy whipping cream, that would be my favorite addition to it.
1: Do you ever, have you gone raw in that heavy whipping cream world? Where where do you sit?
0: Where do you fall on the raw pasteurized milk theorem you know i would um i'm a naturopathic doctor and one of my teachers he's passed away now ron smid but was a huge advocate in connecticut for the whole raw dairy and so i'm definitely pro raw dairy when i can get it it's for certain things here in california it's easier than us and i'm also a big fan of grass-fed and like one of the um, raw dairy that we can get i think it's in fresno which is more of a desert climate similar to where you live um and i just don't think the quality of that dairy, even though it's raw, is likely to be as good as maybe pasteurized butter from Ireland or you know, totally. the Northwest. It's
1: an interesting, that's a really interesting step. Um, looking at the ecosystem of existence of your food, mm-hmm. right? And how, how systems start to play into everything. What what were the steps that were involved in the food consumption of the food you're consuming is something that is probably not as thought of as we should. And I think, mm-hmm. I think I love, I love that call out and it kind of lead right to your world, the NeuroHacker Collective. Um, so you are the lead product formulator at the NeuroHacker Collective.
0: Yes, that's correct. Okay.
1: Now, I want to know before I get into anything else, does that tend to end of one self experimentation, observations? Does, did you get into any of that <laughs> stuff?
0: Usually for me, but I'm also the eyes for a lot of the team. Yeah. So like, we've been experimenting with a what what I would call a nootropic shot, and mm-hmm. so I'm the one that you know has everyone do tapping speed and a reaction time mm-hmm. and gets their feedback. Yeah. So I, I you know try to get everyone here at the office involved in <laughs> end of stuff. I love it. Um, is it subcutaneous? No, no. This would just be like a liquid shot, like a oh, um, a vial. Like a yeah. Okay. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we've been we've been playing, we've been working on this project more than a year and then kind of rebooted it to go in a different direction because in Qualia, which is our, you know, our Neurohacker Collective's flagship product, flagship, there's yeah. just a lot of things that taste horrible. Mm. And so we've um, started, I think, around Thanksgiving, maybe just slightly before that. And we're on our f- fourth version right now, our fourth recipe. And This one um so far is looking good. Okay.
1: (laughs) No one's willing to pay that price of something that doesn't taste doesn't taste delicious just to have the benefits. Consumers Well we we want to taste
0: like our (laughs) initial design goal was palatable. So we weren't even (laughs) yummy or good and and we couldn't get there, so (laughs) that's fair.
1: Um (laughs) so I wanna I wanna get in I wanna get into into that qualia space and the thing that I think separates Qualia from, from the rest of the supplement market, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but is, is really looking at the system's complexity and, and taking an overall ecosystem, more or less, approach of how your supplementation is going to affect every aspect of the, of the chain of, of whatever nutrient we're working through. Is that, is that fair?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, um, Daniel, who's my direct boss and one of the founders of No Hacker Collective, His background is as a complex system science guy, and he actually healed himself by digging into research with that kind of mental model of complexity science of an autoimmune condition that most people, um, it just progressively gets worse. There are no solutions. So he's a brilliant guy, but what he would say is it's that framework of figuring out how things fit together. And um you know, so that's a big part of what we, I would say, our identity yeah. for ourselves is trying to figure out how things work together. And quite often when you, when you do that, you don't need huge doses as the lever. You can do much more modest doses, and because things are acting together, you can go a lot further. Is that a gene expression effect? Are you able to use smaller doses
1: because you're you're expressing genes differently, or is it just the synergistic quality? Of-
0: I think it would be an aspect of both. Um, just in terms of my background, I worked uh, for Thorne Research back right after naturopathic school in the 90s, and um, great company, yeah. you know, make phenomenal products, but a lot of that world is a more is better world. Mm-hmm. So most of their products at the time were doses of things that were frankly beyond what I would comfortably take or give to patients at the time. And when things stacked together, you could get ridiculously high, mm-hmm. um, which I saw sometimes with patients coming in that were... Like as an example, with all the different things they were taking, their zelenium or zinc was just crazy high. Mm. So um, I'm a big believer in the 80-20 when it comes to your response to things. You can get often most of the benefits of something often at a much lower dose than people think for that ingredient. So just on its own. But then when you do kind of synergism with other things, oftentimes that same dose will not even carry you. So I I think dosing is one of those interesting things. That I um I think because we're very much a more is better culture and I have good friends that live in your neck of the woods and to them more is better <laughs> and um for me I'm a quality is better so you know we joke about it even if we were to go to Starbucks they're gonna get the biggest cup mm. that Starbucks will make yeah I want the smallest yeah. amount but the most tasty yeah so yeah huh. so I think huh. when it comes to dosing um we we and I wrote it, but we have a blog post on how NeuroHacker approaches dosing. And I, I think it's a you know a really good insight into how we think about things. But um, that idea of the 80-20, like there's a threshold effect where almost all of your gains happen. And after that, it's just incremental. Super important. I think it's important in supplements, workouts, you know, pretty much across the board. Yeah. Trying to chase those like incremental gains is where you start to, you know, get injured in exercise or get the downside of things and supplements
1: it's it's 80 20 it's hard to find situations where where that won't be beneficial to your existence yep (laughs) it's a very it's a very it's not a universal law but it's very nearly universal i'll put it in the show notes but we haven't talked about it yet can you just can you just for someone who doesn't know give Mm -hmm. that qualia
0: backstory sure so um so we have interesting names, obviously, for things, and qualia is one of them. So qualia is a word that comes out of philosophy, and it basically has to do with the sense of what makes you, you, like your subjective experience of the world, which is, yours will be different than mine, will be different than you know, the other people here. Right. And so the, the idea was, could we come up with, uh, you know, kind of a, a stack of ingredients that would essentially make you a better version of you? and whatever that means. And so when we think of cognitive cap- capacities, there's usually six buckets. Attention's one, executive function's one, memories another, social IQ would be a, a fourth. So there's these different buckets. And the, the core thought process behind Qualia was how can we put things together to support all of these different domains rather than robbing Peter to pay Paul? Because you can really push attention super hard, but then like what we would say is often at the expense of being, expense of being a dick, right? right? Like, you know, you'll get more done, but your colleagues Absolutely, will be. absolutely. So the, the goal of quality was to do it in a way that we've um, produced um, a range of benefits.
1: I, I really appreciate the analogy of uh, getting getting more done and being a dick because I think that that is definitely an existence that many people are going to be familiar with and right. that is very easily relatable and digestible.
0: And I, I don't know... Um, you but for me my my end of one with qualia is slowly but over the first couple weeks i I wouldn't have been like a night and day thing but about a month into it's like huh i'm way more tolerant with people like at the end of my day when i'm cut off in traffic i'm not nearly as upset about it i just like that it kind of helped that social domain yeah um you know as well as the attention the memory and other things and i just think that that domain tends to be underappreciated and underweighted
1: super underappreciated and super underweighted. Um I wonder I wonder are is there anyone doing any quantitative research on actual emotional intelligent aspects shifting from from nootropics.
0: You know, I haven't seen much in terms of that, but I've seen for isolated ingredients, yes. So um one of the projects I've been working on would be an empathy substack, something mm-hmm. to add on to qualia yeah. or you know, could be used on its own but to build empathy, to build really targeting that one domain cuz when we have more empathy we're frankly better humans better you know at work yeah. better managers etc
1: that that is the most exciting thing i can think of hearing about i'm that that is really that's like the
0: capacity of the world there if you can tap into empathy you can really shift things yeah so i, I mean i think you know i don't know if we'll ever get to something that we're delighted with but um, i'm optimistic at this point yeah. that that'll be a future neurohacker product
1: wow Okay, so I want to go I want to go all the way back, and it's, it really loops into this empathy. I've always come from this opinion, and it could be just because this is where my experience started, that this whole supplemental world, at least on the, the retail economic side, has been pushed and really started in the sports performance world, right? This bodybuilding, mm-hmm. this, this musculature side. Yeah, Aesthetics. the original biohackers. Yes, the original biohackers, which I, I definitely was on that cusp. And, and you talked about all those doses and you talk about just like grabbing single high doses of specific anything, right? You can take a single specific high dose of some amino acid and you blast it in your body and you see this vascularness and you're like, oh, wow, this is great. And months down the road, everything goes to hell because you're in two and it's just out of whack, right? Um, that's an experience that many people, I think, in, that were early on into that world have probably gone through to see this overall shift. and and. When the performance aspect came out of the physical side and started to get into the mental side, and we started to we started to tinker in the brain, which is scary, right? Because what do we know? We don't know anything about the body. We don't know anything about the brain. And I know you're like, we know a lot. There's a ton we don't
0: know. Yeah, I think that's. I think the more you know, the more you would admit that, right? Yes. It's there's um, like one of my mental models is um, this the paper was unskilled and unaware of it, but it's yes. the I think Kruger Dunning effect, but basically the same skill you would need to do something well would be this skill you need to realize that you don't, you don't know how right <laughs> yes. and so you just see that all over the place right and so you know i think um me having been you know between naturopathic school and the the early 90s in your neck of the woods i actually went to the i was in the first class at southwest college <laughs> and um you know and then you know worked for Thorne, worked in practice that you know you realize how much you don't know right and yeah. um But sometimes things I'll see as comments or forum posts or other, it's like, huh, this person doesn't know enough to know what they don't know yet. So and and even for me with nootropics, Daniel invented Qualia, that stack. And as I learned about it, the brilliance became more evident only as I got to know more and more.
1: So what do you think really separates out? Like what makes the huge difference between Qualia and and everything else that's out there?
0: Um. Well, I think a couple things, but one is um, we did about 100 recipes before we came up with one that we were comfortable enough to sell, and that's not the norm, right? The norm in my past experience in the supplement, you'd get a bunch of, you know, men, women at a table, you know, write down your ideas for a formula, release it into the wild, right? And so this idea that we actually um, get lots of N of 1 data before we would do that and Iterate, iterate, iterate until we come up with something that we feel confident is going to make a legitimate difference. I, I think sets us apart from, at least my experience of the supplement world. Yeah. And so I think that's part of the reason Qualia has um, worked well for a lot of people is because we had actually done a lot of the um, testing for that <laughs> the, we've ever sold.
1: Yeah. What are you looking for when you're testing when you're testing a new product? So it
0: would depend on the product, but for something like Qualia or the Nootropic Shot, we're going to look at things first and foremost subjective things. So we're going to look at does someone feel like they were more focused, better concentration, fatigue? Do they have a um, crash of energy later in the day? That would be kind of a, a symptom that you rob Peter to, Peter to pay Paul with the formula. Um, you know, what was their sense of their workouts, their motivation to work out, their ability to complete a workout? Yeah. And so. We're going to look at a whole range of things, and um, then in addition to that, we'll do you know, um, neuromuscular speed, so um, finger tapping. There's yeah. apps that you know, any user could download, or reaction time. So we'll do a range of these objective things that, in a sense, give a um, an objective verification to the subjective responses. Yeah. And so it, it just depends on what, what we're after, but we're going to typically marry – a combination of both subjective and objective criteria. Subjective in nootropics being huge because that's why people, you know, ultimately For sure. um, buy them. So.
1: <laughs> For sure.
0: Another interesting thing about the
1: world of nootropics, and I, I, you touched on it there with, with fatigue, but I, I really want to separate this idea out so that you can help me here because everyone is familiar and comfortable. Like we all know that we can create muscle fatigue, right? So we can create structural fatigue yep. in our body. But then we also have this thing that we're willing to admit, which is mental fatigue. Mm-hmm. But I think we gloss over the fact that mental fatigue literally describing our brain being fatigued. And and that is some like the, the two words. Are, it's easy to think, oh, yeah, mental fatigue, brain fatigue. But no one ever says, man, my brain is really, really exhausted right Yeah and i think a lot of it is just the amount of information that that we're just have access to that's coming at us that we're trying to process with this thing that we've stacked on top of our shoulders how how much impact can can supplementation something like qualia something any any type of supplementation how much impact can someone have on on protecting that neural function on on helping the brain avoid that breakdown
0: so i think personally i think huge certainly in my end of one and um, lots of the people I've worked with. So our brain is unique in that we don't have ability to actually feel pain. There's no senses inside that, unlike a muscle. So we can physically feel what we would think of as muscle fatigue. Our brain fatigue, we can't really directly feel. So it's then our experiences of the world that would show up. So with, um, you know, we've talked a bit about exercise, but it used to be thought, decades ago that the limiting factor in exercise was physical fatigue. But now that would definitely be thought mm. of as, no, no, our, it's mental fatigue is what um, prevents us from performing at our best. And so the way it works with exercises, the longer you engage in it, whether it's endurance, weightlifting, the more the mental fatigue builds. And so quite often what you'll see is some degree of disengagement yeah. well before like maybe Maybe you're still going through the motions at the gym 40 minutes in, but you've disengaged a bit. And The the key thing to get the most out of that time is to stay mentally – to essentially put fatigue off until we've done everything that we set off to do. So I I saw David Goggins speak at um, the Arnold Expo in Columbus recently. He was inducted to their – Sports Hall of Fame. And yeah. uh, for the people that don't know, David Goggins is an ex-Navy SEAL, super endurance athlete, world record holder for most pull-ups in a day. And he ended his speech by saying something uh, to the gist of, you don't quit when you're tired, you quit when you're done. And I think it's our brain that allows us to mm-hmm. have that difference. Yeah. And nutritional support can make be the tipping point for that one way or another.
1: Yeah, the And and N of one is unfortunately, fortunately, the way that you that you really have the capacity to experience these things. But when you get really in tune with how your brain is working or you have something that forces you to get really in tune with how your brain is working, um, subtle, tiny adjustments in sleep cycle, in food consumption, in timing of food, all of these things significantly impact how you are operating as a as a human. Yep. Uh, um, and I know in the historical, in historical versions of Qualia, there, there were some, there are some more timing restrictions to how the product was recommended. And you guys have gone away from, from that dual capsule setup to, to your new formulation, which is the single cap. Have you have you seen I assume that there's a huge uptick in uh capacity to follow to follow instructions that way? For sure. <laughs> um have have you seen significant impacts uh, in any other level? Are there, are there, have there been changes that are notable aside from
0: aside from adherence to supplementation t- timing? Um so I would say like stepping back, the model that I have in NeuroHacker, Daniel definitely shares it is um, what we would think of as response groupings. So for almost anything, you could say there's going to be one subset of people that are super responders. Exercise, like you and I start the same weightlifting thing, you gain five pounds of muscle, I gain one, right? There's going to be responders, there'll be non-responders, and then a small group of negative responders. So what, um, what we would say is with Qualia, the original two-step that you're mentioning with Mind, is that the proportion in each of those groups is essentially the same. But some of the people that would be in each of those groups might be slightly different. Got it. So there's a subset of people. The original stack, we had some a couple of things like NuPept as an example that um, we removed for Qualia Qualia Mind, which is the one that's our, our newer product. And there's just a small subset of people that are super responders to NuPept. So they're without that ingredient, they're just not going to um, respond the same way. But there's other people that we added... In its place, an Ayurvedic herb that's the common name would be memory tree. There's a subset that are super responders to that. So when it all shakes out, it's about the same. Got but it. some of the people may have fallen, you know, gone from super responder to responder or from responder to super responder.
1: Got it. In that in that racetam world, in that racetam world off off the beaten path a little bit, is there is there anything that really excites you in the in the racetams?
0: Um you know, I it's not something I've played a lot with, okay. so I don't have – I'm definitely not the go-to expert on that. But um, I think of those as the turbo. Okay. So, like, Qualia would be, the like, your normal day. Yep. And, like, we do something just that we make up for our own use. That's a racetam blend, like, so that, you know, everyone at Christmas would have gotten one in their stockings kind of thing. Okay. And so that's, like, if you really need a turbo day, then, you know, this is a mix of racetams. It's, yeah. That's there for you. And it was funny, one of our staff didn't realize that the little... We put um, Qualia Mind in day packets, right? So seven capsules is a full dose. Um, that's a, a sample pack we'll give out at trade shows. Well, these Christmas stocking stuffers were in those same kind of packages. And so they <laughs> thought they should take all of them. Got it. <laughs> Got so they it. <laughs> talk about a turbo day. That sounds like a turbo day.
1: Yeah. Hopefully there's a lot of choline supplementation. <laughs> um so I want to get to something that I that I believe is really deep within within your expertise level and um that is the new product that you guys are bringing out. It's Eternus. 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 Like oh, that makes total sense. Eternus makes total sense. Um okay, so you're talking there about about longevity. We're talking about NAB. Um and we're really it, it looks like you're really focused on mitochondrial health.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we um similar to Dave Asprey, we really think that's one of the keys to healthy aging
1: and but frankly brain performance as well. You're thinking specifically about the health of mitochondrial function. Where where's your primary focus?
0: For the Eternus product, really it was on five things and how they interact together. So one is the NAD molecule which has been, you know, receiving tons of well-deserved attention. You know, one of the reasons we it's received attention is because of its role in making ATP, which our mitochondria do. But um, I almost never have heard it mentioned that we need ATP to make NAD. So Mm -hmm. you kind of need both, right, to optimize, you know, so what we would say is NAD in isolation isn't something we care a lot about. We care about it because what it allows us to do. And I think the what it allows us to do has been disappointing so far in studies of NAD. So just boosting it on its own, we don't think you know, super important, we think it's a means to an end. Got it. And so also, at the same time, boosting ATP, which is, you know, things like creatine, which a lot of bodybuilders have been using for a long time is super important. Uh, In the body, ATP is always complex with magnesium. So, you know, that's a super important molecule for it. And then mitochondria are actually these networks. So when you see images of a cell, you'll often see one, maybe two mitochondria in it, but the truth is our cells have hundreds to thousands of mm-hmm. mitochondria that are all, all communicating. And so the, the goal is to build a fitter network. It's one of the things that exercise would do. It makes our mitochondrial network much more robust, much more capable. So for us, in a simple sense, one of the things we tried to do with Eternus was to look at things that mimic the effects of exercise or mimic the effects on mitochondria from calorie restriction and then do more of those. I
1: don't even want to ask this question.
0: Is there nicotinamide ribose in there? Is that... Is... No, so that's an interesting... So that's what I would think of. Um, I would categorize niacin equivalents, anything yeah. that can build the NAD molecule as mm-hmm. a niacin equivalent. So um, nicotinamide riboside or NR, we'll just use for short. Sure. Perfect, thank you. It's is one of the newer ones, right? We have the what I think of as the old niacin equivalent. Okay. So vitamin B3, whether okay. niacin or ni- um, niacinamide. And NR is a... Um, is a essentially something that there's a patent and the Got owners it. of that are, are Chromadex. They make a product um, and they won't sell NR to anyone any longer. So the um, availability of that raw material <laughs> is essentially non-existent. Got it. And that'll be the the case as long as that patent's enforced and that there's an ongoing battle between um, Chromadex and Elysium because of that patent. Got it. So anyways um, – and for us, the key thing with NR is we think a lot of the the story around it is more myth than factual. Yeah. So, as an example, I you know I could send you studies from the early '90s showing that um, during digestion in our in animal foods, most of the niacin is in NAD. It's the whole molecule, and during digestion, that gets broken down first into NMN than NR. And most of what's absorbed is just plain old niacinamide. So mm-hmm. that's not hard to come by information. Mm-hmm. So even in the, their own NR studies, what they'll do is they'll label the whole molecule. So they'll put something that tags the riboside part and the niacin part. And what they found is that those two things together don't arrive in tissues together. Got it. Got what, it. What it does is it, like the old studies show, it gets broken apart. It's getting clean. And so... We think, um, you know, we think it's a a good way to build NAD. We think there's other good ways to do it as well. And, and we think a lot of the rationale for why it's better is frankly, uh, misinformed. Okay. I, I love that. I really
1: appreciate that. So you're, so in your focus, your focus on if someone were to come, come to you and you were, you were practicing this, your focus would be on building that NAD cycle.
0: Yeah. So, um, so in um, complex systems, there's this idea of redundancy, super important if you're going to build like a computer network or anything else, right? So of course, we find that our body has all kinds of redundancy built in. So if we look at just NAD, we have three different ways to make it. One of them would use NR or niacinamide or NNM, that's called salvage. And no matter how we make it in the first place, we're salvaging it all day, every day. Right. That's That's like always ongoing. But we can also make it from niacin, the flushing vitamin, um, B3 in a completely different way. And we can make it from L-tryptophan in a third completely different way. So we think coming from the complexity science world that it's way better to support redundancy when it exists. So for us, like going super high in one way to make it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Supporting all three, that's a neurohacker collective way. So that's, and that's one piece. So, and then I mentioned no matter how we make it, the NAD molecule gets consumed over and over every day to do things like DNA repair or to activate a, um, enzymes called sirtuins that are a super important longevity pathway. And when it gets consumed, the leftover is niacinamide. So no matter how you made it in the first place, you still are going to have to deal with that niacinamide molecule and salvaging it. Right. So the another key part for us is how do we optimize salvaging, salvaging. it? Whether we're given it in the first place, or we're getting it because of consuming it in these important health span enzymes, we still need to be able to remake NAD as we need it in our tissue so that and that's another piece like I'll hear like, oh NR is better because um it's um, it feeds sirtuins better. It's like, mm. okay, maybe it did that once, right. but like you got to make that uh... circle rounded round all day, and one of the things that does that are polyphenols or certain polyphenols these plant compounds so a big focus of ours was what we would say the nad metabolome all like basically all of the molecules that go into making it and all the molecules that get made from it and then understanding that and supporting that whole thing because we want to see good traffic flow through things and sounds like yeah. we, we want to avoid metabolic traffic jams it it's so uh, it's
1: which <laughs> if you're looking at if you're looking at how you're you're designing a city right there's there's a very fractal component to how how city life operates and how human life operates and how universal life operates and there, there are these layers that kind of stack on top of each other, and there's so many things that kind of mirror down and scale down and scale up. And if we're if we're looking at how we want to build a city, we're gonna we're gonna work so that we don't we don't have traffic jams. We're gonna work at how we can we can reuse as much as we possibly can. It's very interesting. It's very interesting to hear hear those types of things um, c- coming from this supplement world. It's, it's just very, it's a very, it's a very appreciated approach. I have to say that I really, I really love what you guys do. And I do think you really uniquely
0: approach the supplement world in, in very different ways. Yeah. I, I'm, I know, um, like Daniel's, uh, I would say one of the legitimately brightest people I've ever been around. Um, Peter Diodamo, the, um, originator of the blood type diet would be another one. I was in practice with him at one point. Um, and you know, just both genius guys. So one of the great things with Daniel is he'll ask good questions, but then he keeps asking more good questions. Mm. <laughs> right, until you really get to the root of things and figure it out. And <sighs> having that as um, you know, part of our team is immensely helpful. Yeah.
1: yeah. And and good questions are really immensely important. And getting to the root of things is also, you know, when you solve when you solve something on the surface. It's mm-hmm. going to come back up. When you solve something at the root, the, you solve the problem. And there's right. a big difference. There's a really big difference.
0: Well, um, when what happens, I think with NAD is, so like another piece that I actually, um, we're doing a series of scientific articles on that Eternus product, but breaking it down into, you know, kind of a bunch of different steps. But um, the first one, it was an introduction to NAD. And We just turned comments on for the first time on under our blog post. So the first comment was actually a really smart comment. And one of the things they asked had to do with, you know, aren't you concerned with um, they said hypomethylation. But in essence, what they mean is that anything that can build the NAD molecule tends to also tax our methylation. And so what you would classically see, like this goes back to even using high doses of niacin for cholesterol management, is that... um, As the dose goes up, you start to eliminate a lot more of them as methylated derivatives, right? We tag methyl groups on things to eliminate them. And if it it goes up past that, we eliminate them unchanged. We've kind of maxed that system out. So, you know, their question was a brilliant question. And the answer is, oh, we've put like a full methylation (laughs) stack in Eternix, right? Because like it would be silly to do something that built um, NAD without also supporting methylation Mm. and it just goes right to the it goes right to the problem
1: of going into a a retail outlet and picking up a a single anything and starting to take it you really you really can create more dysfunction in the system than you started out with and then you just start chasing a dragon
0: well and what you um so this would be another complexity science uh, mental model and it's what i think of as adaptation but Mm. um the idea of adaptation, so what you would almost always see would be like a, a curve like this, right? So if you think of exercise, that's a classic thing. Almost you're sedentary. Anything you start tomorrow, your performance is going to improve, right? But if you keep doing that, at some point, you're going to plateau. right? And if you then keep doing it, you'll probably overtrain, injure yourself, et cetera, right? And the thing that's that um, kind of runs along the bottom is time. So given enough time, you would see you know, that continuum. Um, and the more intense you do something. So if you only say like you decide, well, I think running five miles a day is the path you know, for me. If you do that every day, then you're going to crunch that adaptation time window much smaller. If you do that a couple times a week, add in some CrossFit, add in some weight training, maybe do yoga, that time might now stretch out for a lot longer. Right. But you may still track through it eventually. So the way I guess I think about it with exercise A walking program, that time, probably our lifetime, right? We're Mm. never going to track through it. Yoga, you know, we do it a few times a week, run a marathon every weekend, (laughs) right? Right. And so with supplements, I think in terms of intensity, it's the dosage Mm. and it's doing things in isolation. And what we then see is we're going to get that adaptation to things, but the time is going to crunch down. Mm. So you kind of alluded to it earlier. You, You go... You know, bodybuilders go and they take super high amounts of, say, an amino acid and, wow, I feel great for a day, a week, a month. But then eight weeks later, not so great. And so I think when you take that adaptation piece into consideration, um, what you can then do is spread the benefits out over a much longer duration of time. And that's really one of the things we want to make sure if someone starts on qualia as an example – our baseline recommendation is cycling it five days on, two off. Because just like exercise, that helps spread the adaptation yeah. timeout. Yeah. In turn, that's how we tested it as well with a cycling approach. And we just think that's a much more um, sound investment when you want to get long-term benefits from a strategy, whether it's exercise or supplements. Yeah. Cycles are really I, – I really am starting to appreciate the
1: cyclical component of life in that. Each time you go through a cycle, it also allows you an opportunity to compare it to the previous cycle. Mm-hmm. So giving yourself that two-day pause is more or less a, a reset. And then you start yep. back in on day one and you can compare day one to day two. And then maybe maybe you, you make your own tinkering schedule because every single human body is going to have its own thing. But when you develop that awareness... And you're able to stack the knowledge of previous experience on top of each other. You really can gain under could never get if you just went. All right, I'm going to go through this bottle, and then when this bottle's done, I'm either going to buy another bottle or not. Um, so I really like. I'm really getting into cycle.
0: Well, I think like to me, cycling's what I would think of the term intermittent, right? Because intermittent fasting is a big thing in the biohacker space. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of magic that comes when we do things intermittently, yeah. and I think part of that is because. Like if we just think in terms of our senses, like our vision, hearing, those are designed to function based off change right. and more specifically proportional change. So like the story that I would say, and this is called Hooks-Weber's Law, if we were in a dark room, like right now I turned off all the lights and someone lit a candle, whoa, we're going to notice that big time. But if I had a hundred candles on this already, lit one more, not so much, right? right? So the one candle was essentially meaningless. It's the proportional change. Mm -hmm. And so, that's how I believe our receptors work, our hormone systems work, everything. So, the goal is always, in my mind, to create proportional change. And when we do things in a smart way intermittently, we're actually playing into that. So, one of the things with intermittent fasting um, types of protocols they've found is the fasting does something and the refeeding does. And you need both. Yeah. The same, like, When I was younger, I was a nitwit in the gym. I would, you know, lift six days a week, whether I was tired or not. I never had the intermittent rest recovery thing dialed in. So I spun my wheels for years and years where now, you know, I'm much more attuned to like it's as important to get the days not in the gym as it is the ones in the gym, like both.
1: Yes, that we have really shifted our focus around the studio to this necessity to recharge right we spend so much time worrying about how charged our battery is a battery on our cell phone we don't spend any time thinking about how charged our battery and our brain and body are so yep. focusing your attention capacity and willingness we get in these these cycles where we don't want to stop or we don't want to take that plug back in it's mm-hmm. required because if you don't your body you're you're going to be forced to do it at some point
0: yeah yeah, the rest recovery piece is for sure not the intuitive thing. Like I just think of myself maybe when I was in the Navy and first lifting weights, I was convinced it was the doing that was important. So to take time away from doing was like pulling teeth from me, right? Yes. But it's also didn't work. You know, yes. I probably was <laughs> spent a lot of those years overtrained. Yes. And investing my time poorly. Where now the rest and recovery piece I think for me, is intuitive, but it took a long time to get there.
1: Ah, prioritizing sleep—that—that that yeah. for me was probably the biggest impact uh, in my life. Is there anything? Is there anything that you go consistently to that the majority of people aren't putting enough focus or energy or attention into that you think could significantly I- improve life quality?
0: You know, I um, I'm guessing the blue blocker strategies at mm-hmm. night. As much as the biohackers know about them and doing them, in the general world, it's not my experience. Like literally, none of my non-biohacking friends would own a pair of blue blocker sunglasses and wear them at night if they're on their computer or watching TV, right? So that's a that. huge one. Yeah. And um, and the few that I've been able to get. To do that, it's if they've had sleep issues, it's made a it's been a tipping point thank yeah, you for
1: them. That's a great call out. So, so um, Dr. Kelly is talking about orange tinted glasses or or glasses that are blocking out the blue light spectrum. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, blue light is in the morning, and then as the as the day progresses, it it shifts towards this redder light, and yeah. it massively is your brain's willingness to shut down when you take that blue light that. Um, initial morning energy light out of your out of your evening activity. For and sure, our, yeah. our computer screens, our phone screens,
0: our TVs—they are all emitting blue light at us the moment yeah, you turn um, them on. Yeah, um, disproportionately. So, not natu- if you think of a mm. candle or a fire; um, those types of lights—they're going to have some blue and green, but yeah. they have disproportionately more oranges, yellows, and reds. And so, at night, that it should shift to that spectrum—that we're having much more of that. Now, the interesting thing, if you just stared at a fire after wearing blue blockers for a while and well if you took those off then all of a sudden you would see all the blues and greens in the flame that's interesting uh, it's because again (laughs) that idea of change yeah right (laughs) and so that would be a huge one i think um i'm a big fan of some degree whether like i would call it time restricted feeding um, but intermittent fasting sometimes is used as a catch-all but basically trying to eat most of your calories on uh, the majority of days in some kind of a time window, most of which corresponds with daylight would be to me like a big um, an important hack as well. Okay. So I, I really think that's important because I'm a
1: huge intermittent faster, but I think the majority of people that are participating in intermittent fasting are doing it wrong because they want to skip breakfast because skipping breakfast is easy. And then they want to eat at like 11 o'clock at night. And yeah, In my opinion, you're destroying
0: your sleep. Well, what you're doing, so I had Greg Potter on our Collective Insights podcast yeah. not too long ago, and he's for the people that don't know that name, he works for humanos.me, and he's one of the experts on how circadian rhythm, sleep, and metabolic health all intersect. And one of the things that came up in that conversation, but I wrote about this in a book I published in 2010 has to do with the importance of synchronizing our rhythms. Yeah. So in a big picture, think we have um, light-sensitive rhythms and we have food-sensitive rhythms. And health generally works better when those two things are synchronized. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons jet lag is mm-hmm. horrible and causes all kind of you know, digestive and other things is because we de- desynchronize those two things. And we can get our light resynchronized pretty quickly. Kind of the generic rule of thumb is, One day per time zone, but the um, food-sensitive ones are slower to resynchronize. And so, what you're talking about when when we eat, it might be the same window. Say we're going to eat all our food in a ten-hour window. If that's from eight in the morning till six at night, metabolically we'll probably respond a lot differently than if it's at ten at night to say um, noon. And so, what I've seen is that shifting that window earlier in the day, so it more matches natural lighting, is Um, oftentimes a big tipping point and you know research shows that as well for people trying to lose weight or improve their metabolic health eating um, much of our calories in darkness is just not a great solution oh thank you (laughs) and it's funny because i just did an insta live with that as the focus (laughs) Tuesday and um and i don't know if you know monsel Denton. I don't like. Alonso's a biohacker. He started Neutropedia, that okay. website. Okay. He sold it around Christmas, but great guy. Um, does all kinds of N of ones. But he would, um, he tends to have his window more from noon till eight to, um, get some of the social things. And that's about as far as I would stretch it. You know, maybe this time of year with daylight extending yeah. longer, it would be. Um, Uh, you know, fine to go a bit later, but if your core thing all year is to eat a lot of your calories when it's dark, that's probably not a recipe for success. Yeah. What do you think about,
1: so, so I've really been preaching this idea and it's kind of 80, 20. I've been, I've been hoping people will go 90, 10 and just say, Hey, you know, I get it. There are social activities. That's definitely a thing. And when, when that happens, then you don't have to religiously adhere to, to your time, right? If, if, nine out of 10 days you are done eating at four o'clock at two o'clock whatever time that is and then one day you're going to go out and you're going to have a dinner your body's going to be in a better place to deal with the the
0: disruption
1: if if you've been yeah. taking care of it
0: so i i think so for me even when i worked um with peter diadamo in his clinic so he hired me to come in and see new patients shortly after his first best-selling books launched and um What Peter would have said back then, I don't know if it would have changed in the interim, was that if someone was super sick, right, they had, you know, an autoimmune disorder or cancer, it was really important to stick to things rigorously, right? But if someone was generally healthy, kind of the 80-20 rule, right? Follow the blood type diet, kind of 80 percentage. And you'll, you know, that's probably going to be good enough, right? And so I would tend to agree. I don't feel like I need to eat, um regimented finish all of my calories by six o'clock at night every night there's my i think of my system as resilient and uh, and i want to support that and my conversation is as well but conversely um skipping breakfast and not eating till two or three in the afternoon and then having food at 10 or 11 at night wouldn't be your the 80 20 that you should be following right that should be the exception yes yes and so to me that's the core thing like i I think it's good to challenge ourselves periodically. And the more resilient we are, the bigger the challenges our body can yes. take on. Um,
1: yeah. I, I've really been pushing people for a, couple of, for a couple of things right in this world, which is it's, it's also okay to be hungry, right? Like experiencing the sensation of hunger is something that we don't have to deal with in our society. It, it is we have so much access to everything that the moment we feel any type of craving, we think we're starving and we're going to go and we're going to empty the pantry of everything that might be. So I've really been pushing people to to experience cravings and allow that sensation to be there and just talk to yourself about, hey, this is a craving. And now I can now I have a relationship with my with my wants that I've Mm -hmm. never had before because everything gratified in our world. Right. I think food, A, it's probably the most powerful drug that we have free access um, and become this crutch for everything. And the moment we feel some stress, we're like, well, I have sweet and crunchy and I'm going to that or I'm going to salty. We have we have two too much desire to just go and grab things. So I've been pushing this idea of just feeling hunger. And I wonder how much how much of that could be how much relationship between sensing could be strengthened through through neural supplement. Because when you are stressed, and when you feel when you feel at the edge mentally, it's really easy to physically grab something and shove it in if we could get the brain to calm down, could we give our body a little more space to not raid the pantry every
0: night? Yeah, no, I. So this would be my my personal experience, and um, so I think in a general sense, um, in our hypothalamus, so like the master regulator part yeah. of our brain that that regulates appetite, thirst, body temperature, sex drive, our body clocks, um, social interactions. Um, so all these things that are. The most important for our survival are tightly packed together in this small part of our brain. (laughs) And what it seems like, if we don't do a good job meeting one, the easiest thing to make up the difference is appetite. So if we don't get enough sleep, appetite goes up. If we don't meet our, our hydration needs, appetite goes up. Obviously, you know, if we're living in a super cold place, appetite goes up. Um, the sex drive, I would think more of romance is how it tended to track with patients. If a woman, as an example, their relationship isn't, um, satisfying the romance needs, then appetite cravings Mm. go up. So that seems to always be the easiest one to borrow from. So for me, the key thing is if I'm seeing what I would say is like, um, that being disproportionately, um, activated, see if any of these other Mm. things, can be addressed because then on its own it would improve right Right. we fix sleep appetite tends to fix we yeah like a lot of times when we crave um carbohydrates sometimes it can be a call for that we're thirsty and so like to me the first thing is let's see if we can satisfy one of these (laughs) other core needs first and if we do then sometimes the appetite thing semi takes care of itself yeah um the other thing with appetite especially if we see the night eating thing so I've had a couple of girlfriends, like this goes even way back to the Navy, way before I was a naturopathic <laughs> daughter, doctor, and um, my girlfriend, my last year in the Navy, I remember, I would see her at the, at the end of my day, and we'd be going out to dinner, and I'd say, you know, what did you eat today? And she'd think, oh, I forgot to eat. <laughs> and I was, I, you know, I couldn't have made it till nine in the morning in the Navy without eating. Right. And, um, and she had all kinds of digestive issues, mm-hmm. and I remember at the time, you know, me not being in health her doctor actually said you know i think these might get better if you actually ate breakfast mm. and lunch <laughs> and you see that right like our system is designed to digest food better when it is under natural lighting conditions than into the darkness right so um mm. we do all these things sometimes that we're trying to address i wouldn't say downstream but we're addressing the wrong thing first so for her to um the key thing was shifting rhythm so she was hungry earlier in the day and the way you do that isn't by avoiding eating when you're hungry at night it's by getting natural light and starting to eat breakfast in the morning even if you're not hungry and then you fix it without having to deal with the harder thing got it got it
1: that's that that's a great approach why why do it the hard way
0: right yeah <laughs> trying to combat cravings when you're in the midst of them you know especially at that point in the day the truth is we probably exhausted our willpower for the day by that point in time so rather than beating yourself up to start the next day and you know work on the beginning part of the day that sets the tone yeah so sunshine in the morning you've mentioned that you've mentioned
1: that a couple times how important to you is sunshine in the morning
0: um on a scale of one to ten that would be a nine nine or ten wow. like i'd with sleep okay yeah. I mean it's a it's a step below sleep, but it would be in that next tier down for sure. Is it is it a visual connection with the sunshine or
1: is the is the epidermal exposure really important?
0: Yeah, I think it's just the visual system that's okay. important. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it doesn't have to be long, like ten minutes, right? So um we talked about empathy earlier and an empathy stack. So tryptophan as an amino acid tends yeah. to make us socially better. Um yeah, but tryptophan Um, there's been a few studies where they've augmented breakfast with tryptophan. And when they do that and get light, it makes sleep, melatonin, all those things better 12 hours later. So that like that little bit of light um, amplifies other good things we do at the beginning of the day. And so for me, it's easy, right? Like it's probably easy for you and Chandler. I know it was easy when I was (laughs) (laughs) in naturopathic school in Tempe, right? Um, I used to bike to and from school every morning. But um, in the Navy, it was, you know, a little bit more challenging when I was in engineering. It was very easy to spend all of your day inside because you were literally spending 12 hours of every right. 24 on watch in this little inside cubicle. Right. So I've, I've kind of been on both ends of it. And, you know, as in terms of a time investment, five or 10 minutes outside with no glasses on is a just a super good thing to do early mm-hmm. in the day.
1: That's a great call. That's
0: you're the first person I've ever heard talk about that. How's that possible? I don't know. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, not, it's one of those interesting things like I, you know, um, I think certain things, um, it's almost like we think things need to be harder than they for are. Sure, without a doubt. And um, really, the beginning of our day is just the key time to set our body clock for that day, yeah. almost like winding a watch. So we don't have mm-hmm. to invest a lot of time into it, but just a couple things. So having like we don't have to eat a huge meal. Early yeah. in the day, but having some calories to kind of get our metabolism started and, and even a bulletproof coffee where you're adding some butter and yeah. some, um, um, some, MCT MCT oil of
1: some kind yeah. In
0: it, you're going to get actually a fair amount of calories. So you yeah. might not be eating something, but you're still kind of doing that same thing where you're setting the rhythm early yeah. in. The day. Yeah. And I mean, that's just be the key.
1: And, and then s-
0: the, the other thing is darkness at night, right? That's so overlooked. Yeah. Um, they haven't. I, I'm gonna do just on Insta Live. This will be tomorrow our time, so way after the fact. Yeah. When <laughs> but um, one of the like every, I think it's once a month. I just do on a Tuesday, like neurohacking in the news, like a mm-hmm. couple of science things that came out and how they might apply to to hacks we can do. And um, th- this one of the studies that came out in the last couple of weeks was on um, light at night and cancer growth in animals. And there's been lots of research on this before, but Basically, um, if you allow them to have, you know, bright light during the day, but only dim light instead of darkness at night, cancer grows like mad mm. and feels way more of them where if darkness, it subdues cancer's growth. And so, like, to me, that's where the blue blocker strategy I mentioned earlier, it gets you most of the way there. And then ideally, your you know, where you sleep, the rest of the time should be as dark as you can make it. Yes. But that's like we're deficient in darkness, for sure. For sure
1: darkness and quiet but darkness i totally
0: get um so do do you do you have fully blacked out bedroom i just happen to live in a place that's even with my um just shades drawn is really dark okay so okay when i picked it i looked for dark okay i
1: love that um okay I want to ask two questions. One question on maybe a little off the off the normal radar. You may you may not be stuff but are there are there any peptides that you're really interested really fascinated right now?
0: So um it wouldn't be my sweet spot when I was at A4M which is a big doctors only um anti-aging conference. There was a track just for that and a couple of my friends were in it okay. and the way they described it it's still the wild wild west. For Everyone's sure. trying to sort that out. So I, I'm definitely um, under-opinionated in that because I have Kay. you know in that less information that I would need to <laughs> talk about. You're not gunslinging these days. No, no I, I don't. Um, <laughs> there's like I, I've seen definitely people I respect experimenting with it, but I'm going to sit sit on the sidelines on this one for a little bit. <laughs> All right, fair
1: enough. Um, I'm not going to take too much more of your time. I want to ask just a couple a couple last questions. Is there is there anyone I think you've mentioned, I think you've mentioned a couple, but is there any any really impactful mentor or influencer that you've had in your life that's really created, created the
0: you that you are today? I think it's there's a combination of people. I I, um, one of the things when I went to Southwest College, it was brand new. So I was literally in the first class. Yeah. And our talent pool of teachers at that point in the, the valley, in Phoenix, Tempe, Chandler, Scottsdale, all that area, it was fairly limited. Yeah. So what they did to make up for that was fly in these naturopathic doctors or other experts that were leaders in some some small area. Subsec, so yeah. I got, um, compared to the other naturopathic colleges at the time, I probably got the raw end of the deal on a day-to-day basis, like yeah. in anatomy, physiology, but got exposed to some of the brightest in my profession in ways that other colleges weren't at that time. So these were um, people like um, he just passed away, but Walter Crinian, who was the naturopathic doctor most acknowledged for being an expert in environmental medicine. Um, there was a guy that was Ron Smith was one of the people they flew in to teach nutrition. He would have been a forerunner of what we might now think of as ancestral diets. And I remember th- th- one of the key things he said, and he'd, he would have been a biohacker before there was biohackers, right? He, you know, if he did a new diet, he did it a hundred percent, and if he shifted, like well, got rid of. It. <laughs> but he said, um, you know, Greg, there can be a huge difference between a diet that takes someone that's on an unhealthy diet and gets them healthy, and one that keeps them there, mm. right? And so to me, that's that's always stuck, right? I think people too frequently get attached to the tool they're using to move them somewhere, and often it can move them right through that over time. Right. So I like to me that was one of the core things. And then the third is um his name's Mark Percival, but he coined the idea of health coach back like nineteen ninety and yeah. um, you know, so was the original health coach. Yeah. And Mark, um his oldest daughter's now at naturopathic school in Oregon. And Mark would be my foremost mentor. I, I've always thought of him as kind of the um kind of a hybrid of a uh, Tony Robbins, but um, you know, not quite that driven for yeah. naturopaths and chiropractors. So very cool. Yeah, and, and, and Mark's core thing would have been much more about your beliefs, like the stories mm-hmm. we tell ourselves and how impactful they are in our health. And I, I would say to me, you know, huge fan of sleep, huge fan of diet, all those things. But I think it's also important that we tell ourselves good stories. It's so.
1: it, I think I think it's the, it's the most important because too often – People are willing to define themselves as something that they're not, right? I'm not a good sleeper. Well, the moment you right. say you're not a good sleeper, you're for sure not going to be a good sleeper. Right? <laughs> are you for possibility? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, okay. Last two questions. If you okay. could know the one truth, any question at all, what question? I, for me, I think it's what happens next after this life
0: yeah. would be. You're no. the
1: first person that's ever said that and to me that's the most obvious question that there is. It's that there's so many answers in that. Yeah. Is there anything that you'd spe- like is there anything that you specifically would learn from that knowledge? Everything, right?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's everything. Yeah. <laughs> okay, last question. Do you have any questions at all for me and the answer can or the question the answer can absolutely be no.
0: Um so you know, I would just say maybe um given that you know, there's probably a few things that you heard during this that were new to you. Yeah. Um, tell me one thing that you do in your day that you haven't heard today, but that you would say, you know, is a top five thing that should be in my day. Well, We didn't talk about meditation, but do you meditate? Um, uh, I would say not as frequently as I know would be good for me. But...
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the story with meditation for the majority of us, right? <laughs> um. I think the thing that I do more than anything else uh, is connect this idea that there's nothing that I have to do. And every Mm -hmm. single thing that I do is something I get to do. And I try to remind everyone of that experience. Whenever someone says, oh, you know, I have to I have to take my kid to the baseball game. You have a kid. (laughs) like You're living this life. You're living this experience. you're, You're driving this fancy, shiny vehicle around. You are so blessed. Appreciate that. And if we all just took tiny little bit of get the opportunity to do, it would be a um, cool. life is amazing. Life would be even yeah. more amazing.
0: Nice. Well thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and no, I you. think that
0: that <laughs> gratitude piece, that reinterpretation of reinterpretation. Like I, I think our language I know when I worked with patients, um, I would really ardently try to listen to the words they use to describe themselves in their lives, because quite often the way they described things was as much the problem as anything else so and,
1: and it allows you to get to the root and solve yeah. the whole the whole system yeah to circle it right back dr kelly greg i man thank you so much this was such a good time i am so thrilled
0: well thanks for having me what a <laughs> treat
1: so thank right. you